Good morning. All right, it's not a good morning. Well, we are diving into two weeks. Uh, uh, we felt just appropriate uh, based on our weekend. And as Trisha said, we, uh, there are times that there's inspiration from stage that we're you know, trying to, to move you and challenge your hearts. Other times, uh, challenge your giving. Other times, challenge your efforts to go. And as Trisha just talked about, but I think to this morning is to challenge your minds and to really think about uh, the way you perceive this book we call the Bible. Uh, appropriate from last week, as many people made decisions for Christ, and, and I got to kind of draw this picture, and it was retraced and printed so it was easier to read. But just, just this story, this amazing story that God has revealed in the Scripture. And we wanted to talk about the Bible for a couple weeks. And for you to know it's just very clearly, our church uh, not only teaches this book, believes and guides and puts everything in light of what's instructed in this book. And how God's revealed himself to us, really we find much, most, all, almost all of our instruction and direction from God through it. And it's interesting in today's culture because there's a lot of perceptions about the Bible. You have people today going, well, you can't really, you can't really take it all and just use it all because it's not relevant for today or, or there's these stories that don't make sense. And, and I'm here to tell you uh, the opposite, that it is not only uh, this revelation from God, it is relevant to the entirety of your being. And I want to share just some basic questions with you this morning and, and maybe tackle some of that. Now, we don't have, someone just said the last service, gosh, we could do weeks and weeks on this. We could. Almost any topic we teach, there are just limitless uh, teachings that we could go on. And I want to also make sure that you understand here that I'm sourcing other teachers and just I get to be re-inspired um, as I study and prepare to, to bring something to you by other teachers from all over the world. And uh, boy, this, the wealth of understanding and the growth that God keeps teaching us as a culture and as a world and as a people is just amazing. So if you have a Bible this morning, um, it would be great to have it. You may want to open it to Luke chapter 24. We'll end up there. But I want to talk to you a little bit about this book called the Bible. Now we in our culture today, find ourselves with lots of tension in that we have a secular culture that's trying to separate out religion and government or religion and education. And there's this idea that, well, there's, there's spirituality and all these different paths to whatever kind of deity you want to worship. And good, that's good for you guys. And it seems like it's all going in the same direction. And it's this pluralistic culture that means that there's many ways to God and there's, it's all the same bucket. But government and morality and education and all that uh, are separate and we kind of, we try to separate those out. And I, I want to just talk to you just for a moment. I know it's kind of rule of thumb not to go politics, uh, but I just want to say this. God uh, has way way more understanding than we do. Would we agree to that? He has a better perspective about who he's created and, and what we need. And what he says in Scripture is government has never, ever changed the soul and never will. Politics and those things we love and are necessary maybe for the guidance and direction for what our 
our world is about today, but friends, they're flawed. I find it interesting to read George Washington's statement, it's impossible to rightly govern a nation without God in the Bible. We are far away from that value. And yet, I love to vote, and I will vote, and I will pray for godly leaders, but I will not spend my life trying to fix the government. Because as Scripture says, that will never change a person. It is Jesus that changes people. And so within that, whether we're in a communist country, whether we're in a monarchy, whether we're in a democracy, whatever it is, God has placed us right where we're at. And we find there's tension, don't we? Interesting statistically about what's going on in our world today about the Bible. Barna's studies show us that despite generally high numbers of Americans who think the Bible is sacred, there's also a fair... A high proportion of Americans who at least somewhat agree that the Bible, the Koran, and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same spiritual truths. Nearly half of Americans agree with this statement. That means most people today think this is a good book. Yeah, it's sacred. But so is the Koran, so is the Book of Mormon, so is whatever spiritual literature. It's all kind of in that bucket. And I want you to hear clearly this morning as a church, here at Community Church, I don't know where you came from, Whatever church you came from, our belief is this is not the same. It is different. It is unique. And it is a revelation that's from God that we believe is far different than any other literature out there on spirituality. It's interesting, though, you hear, see here, 88% of the culture owns a Bible. Uh, 80% say it's sacred. But look at this, 61% wish they'd read it more. Interesting thought. How many of you own a Bible this morning? Just raise your hand. We call ourselves Christians, and we say that we love Jesus, and we say, as I drew the story, this entire story is about Jesus, and yet, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have read the full story? From cover to cover, and so, some of you are really excited to raise your hand. Awesome. I have too. You're proud of yourself, because, you know, in some ways, that's a, that's a big task, but most people haven't. Most people today that are attending church, that are sitting down in chairs and believing that they have some spiritual or punching a ticket for God, don't open the Bible. And friends, it is this relevant piece of revelation from God that he has expressed himself on who he is and what he's about and what this great story is about his son. And why wouldn't we read it? Another study shows, kind of interesting enough, the influence that has kind of been lost. It's an all-time bestseller. The Bible has been the most printed and purchased piece of literature of all mankind. It is, if you look at here, uh, a sacred piece of literature, but that kind of impression is losing some steam. In 2011, it was 86%. It's down to, to 80 uh, look at this third stat down here. I know you can't read them. I'm going to read it for you. The Bible contains everything a person needs to live a meaningful life. It used to be 75% only, what, two years ago in 2011. Now it's down to 66. We're finding ourselves in an interesting time in, in history, in, at least in, in our culture, is that we have a moving away from Scripture, moving away from the Bible. Bible basically is biblios. It means book. Uh, scriptures mean writings. So when we talk about the holy uh, Bible, it means this holy book or the holy scriptures. There's a moving away from this. And I find it interesting that many people 
talk about being Christ followers and people that love Jesus dearly but do not open their Bible and some things like, well, it's not very relevant to my work life or what's going on in my life right now. Or it's just too difficult to understand. And hopefully this morning I can help you maybe reapproach the Scriptures with maybe a different mindset. Last year it says, wish they read the Bible more. As I said, it's losing steam. It used to be 67%, but now it's down to 61%. we are finding more and more that the people are losing kind of this perspective about the importance of Scripture. So this morning I want to address three questions. Really simply, three questions. First, what is the Bible? I often hear people will say things like, well, Troy, it's, it's a good history book. It gives us the history of, of what happened, and it's historically accurate. And while that might be true, this is not necessarily the description of what the Bible is. Some people say it's, it's a biography. God's writing a story about himself, and he's, he's writing this, this story about um, what he did. Part of that's true, but that probably would not be the description that we'd use to say what the Bible is. Uh, some might say it's a moral dictionary. Many people today think this is the book you should be using to raise your family, to fix the government, to change the world. And while parts of that might be true, God did not write this book to be as a moral dictionary or a code, if you will. There's something deeper. Now I want to just kind of go back to a couple terms here. Um, in Iman in, in our chart. There are a couple terms when we talk about the Bible that are important for you to know. One is revelation. Not the book of revelation, but this idea of revelation. That basically means, uh, the, the idea of revelation means God or a deity, as secular would, would uh, define this, is giving some sort of imparting some truth or knowledge to humankind. So we say revelation we say that revelation means God to us somehow, some way. Two different types of revelation. One's called general revelation, which is great because what we find in the beginning, as we said, in the garden and in this earth that I painted, and it's Troy Earth, but it's supposed to be God Earth, is that we see, as the psalmist says, is that the heavens declare your glory. The heavens and earth all of creations cry out and reveal who God is. How many of you have sat in a place in midst creation, sunset, sunrise, woods, ocean, on a lake, and there's just that moment where you just go, whoa, God is who he says he is. Anybody felt that before? Yeah. This would be termed general revelation. That means God reveals himself in a powerful way. I can remember in the service in a sleeping bag and throughout wherever I was camped, you know, probably not a good word for military. We didn't camp, you know, bivouac, I don't know what you call it, but we were out there and I can remember looking at the stars and whether I was other parts of the world, it was just like this God is the same God where I was in this part of the earth and now in this part of the earth, and God is massive. And I'd just be looking at the stars and feel that sense. How could you think that this world, just this, this universe exploded and by accident things happened? There's a revelation, a general one for that. Another one is God's creation of us, Adam and Eve, of humans, of man and woman. And it says that God made us in his image, in his likeness. 
and there is a wonder about who we are. Just If you don't feel that, could you just look around for a moment and just be in amazement at God created that person next to you? You may kind of, people are like nervous to look around. I don't want to look at that person. <laughs> and, and just the, the amazement of, of God creating us unique. You're the only you. You are only the only you ever to be made. I remember sitting in, not sitting, but a friend of mine let me kind of videotape and, and photograph open heart surgery. None of you in this room. Um, unbelievable. The, the heart and just how God designed the body. It's just one of these moments you just say, <gasps> general revelation. God reveals himself through not only his created universe and the animals, but he also reveals himself through us. It's why we talk so much that the scripture says that we belong to one another. There's a connection and we want you to, to get in groups because there's something about that that begins to grow us up. So I don't want you to limit this morning that revelation simply is the Bible. There is a general revelation of creation and there's something about being still and being out there. And I'm not like a tree hugger kind of person of just like, you know, God's everywhere, but God's fingerprints are all over creation and they just cry out his glory. The people in our churches and in our community are just these great expressions. And I think the more you understand that God is this great creator who's created all, you just you see people different even. There's another term though, not just general revelation, it's also special revelation. And as you see the scriptures unfold, you'll see that God will begin to have a special message for some. He came down and talked to Abraham. Abraham, you're gonna have a son. I, I, I want to promise through your bloodline this. He later has a son. Remember Isaac. He says, I want you to sacrifice your son. He reveals to priests. He reveals to prophets all the way through Scripture. He says, I'm going to give you a message that I want you to give to the people. And so that would be called special revelation, a special imparting. Now in that, we know that there's 40 authors of the Bible written from about 1500 B.C. to about 100 A.D., 40 different authors from different walks of life, from different periods of time, that God revealed a message to write. I want you to write this down. We then would see that this book compiled later on, about 14, I think it's 1455, the Gutenberg Press was then uh, producing Bibles. And so really, very recent in our world history have we actually had the availability and copies of Scripture. And so that gets revealed to us, and this special revelation is for us. Now, the Bible is kind of put together in, in an interesting fashion, and I wanted to show you quickly a little bit about the Bible. The Old Testament is broken down into some categories. First, there's the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you just open your Bible and you hit Leviticus and try to start there, you're probably like, whoa, whoa. God does not like animals, right? Because he just keeps taking them out. Um, you know, he doesn't like sheep. He doesn't like rams or bulls or doves. But again, there's a bigger picture, and God is establishing outside of the garden story this great story. In fact, I've told many, and scholars will argue and talk about this, if you have not read the first five books of the Old Testament, your understanding and the depth of the power of Jesus Christ 
is probably not as deep. doesn't mean you know less. There is a power of understanding the, the description of why we need a Savior, why we need a sacrifice. It's very powerful. It's the books of the law, books of history. They are historic record of what was going on in Israel, the united period, the first time they get a king, Saul, the divided kingdom, north and south, David, this new king. Um, we just get this story after story, and you may have picked up in there, and you're going, man, God likes war, because it's just war after war. Again, it's only a section of the Old Testament, and I'm going to get to what that really meant. Poetry. We find that then there's five books of poetry, and these are just beautiful songs. This is part of why we still today sing. That's not entertainment. I, I kind of look around sometimes and watch, and some of you are just like, can't wait for this part of the service to be over. You know? Music. Mm. You would have not done well in, in Israel in the Old Testament because they shouted and they like blew trumpets and probably didn't do it very well. Uh, they, they were in like this song. In fact, in Israel, Jerusalem is on a hill, and they would talk about the songs of ascent, meaning ascending to Jerusalem. But the Proverbs and the songs and this, these books of poetry are just beautiful expressions of the love they have with God. That's where art becomes such a powerful thing today. I think, we, I think we've lost some of this artistic expression of God even revealing to people how uniquely we've been created and just art. That's why I love art. How paintings and, and music that it's written. It's not for entertainment. It's this expression of how they see God. Prophets, you have all these prophets. You have major prophets at the top and then minor prophets. And these are the ones that God spoke to specifically. These had bad jobs. Pretty much all these prophets had really rough jobs. Because it was, I'm going to give you a message and it's not a good one. It's a bummer message. And this is where you get a picture, a little bit of what's going on in the Old Testament. Now these are these 39 books, and the Old Testament points all the way to Jesus Christ, all of it. We'll talk about that in a moment. New Testament is really broke up in five basic categories. First, the Gospels. The Gospels are these books that are written by disciples and had four different viewpoints or accounts of the life of Jesus. And so you get these ones that are so different. John, who I love, John, he's kind of like the, the disciple that Jesus loved the most. He wants to throw that in. I love the humanity of some of the writing in the scriptures. Because he's like, and the one that runs faster than Peter. You know? That'll be a question. Why'd you let that in, God? I don't know. He needed, it. He needed that one, you know? But you have Matthew and Mark and Luke, who's a physician and... You know, we're thankful that physicians are detailed and there's a right way to operate on a heart, right? And he says, I'm going to write this book very accurately of what's gone on. Or the Gospel of John that says he never uses the word repent ever in his writing. He says, believe. The word believe, putting your full trust in. And he says that means really giving your life over, but he never uses the word repent. Each author of watching the life of Jesus brings a different emphasis. The book of Acts becomes this historical count. So you have these, these writers in the Gospels that have written after the death and resurrection of Christ and they're reflecting back on what happened. But then you have really the book of Acts and it's the church. And it's the church's just explosion. And it's the acts of the Holy Spirit just taking 
ordinary, broken people like you and I, and the church just exploding. And so the Acts, the book of Acts, is just this great piece of literature that allows us to just see God do amazing things through the early church. It's why we read it and we talk about it and we, we long to be in that place. And yet great persecution. And so Paul, he is one of these uh, that has come, com- become converted. He's changed. He's, he's completely transformed from being a persecutor of Christians to now a disciple. And he then begins to write letters. And so the letters are letters to churches that have started. So when you read Romans or Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians all the way down, these are a letter to the church in Rome. A letter to the church in Corinth. They probably didn't get it, so I'm going to write a second letter to the church in (laughs) Corinth. They missed it. Galatians uh, is a church in Galatia. Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica. Now you get down Timothy and Titus and Philemon. Timothy was his disciple that Paul was pouring into, and he was the pastor in Ephesus. These are called the pastoral epistles. That means he's writing to a pastor. I want to encourage you, Timothy. Be strong. Courageous. Don't be timid. Lead. And so we see these books give us a different perspective, and it's important that we understand what their place is. General epistles or general letters. These are letters that were general, basic to to be passed around. And that's what they would do with general epistles, passed around more to all the churches. Some, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but James, the half-brother of Jesus. First and second Peter, first and second, third John was the apostle who wrote the gospel of John and then Jude. And then we have the book of Revelation. Your detailed people, I got just crucified last service about the S on there. That's just to show my own humanity. Um, Anyway, Revelation, the book of Revelation, is God revealing to, again, John, this picture of heaven. And so we see how the Bible is put together and gives us a picture of that. But So what is the Bible? Is it just a good history book? Is it just a book of of good ideas about God? Let me make a note about that. The Bible is full of some great wisdom. Would you agree to that? It probably is a good idea you should not sleep with your neighbor's wife. Would you agree? You should not kill your neighbor's donkey. I mean, there's a lot of good things. You should not steal. You should not gossip and slander. And I say that because the morality of the Bible is very good. I think there are a lot of people that try to adhere to some of the teachings and would find their life maybe be a bit happier. That is not the intent of why Scripture was written. Let me give you these two verses. 2 Timothy says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 2 Peter, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Scriptures... Uh, as it's called, is the Word of God. And John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. Logos is this Greek word that means means breath, breath of life. It gets equated to the breath of life breathed into the people. This is why Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is this life-giving Word, 
and direction that God gives. And it's not just because it's written on a page. It's the breath of God Himself. And He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word, it goes on to say that the Word dwelt among us. Who is He talking about? Jesus. What is the Bible? The Bible points to Jesus. The Bible is the inspiration, the revelation of God, this special revelation that's relevant because it's about Jesus. I'd like to think that last Sunday, the amazing artistic skills I have, which probably you could see how bad they are now, but that that might have drawn people to Christ because we were very, we picked the right songs and the right videos and the screens were in the right place. But friends, it is because of Jesus that people are moved. This book in its entirety is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Uh, That's where my second question goes, is what is this Bible about? And I want to hit us to this passage because I think this passage explains it well. Luke chapter 18, Jesus is going to be talking uh, to these 12 disciples. He says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. Jesus' whole life was about getting to Jerusalem. Why? Because all of the prophets have talked about this story that's going to unfold here. And he says, we are going to Jerusalem. Everything that is written by the prophets is about what? The Son of Man will be fulfilled. It's about me. Everything in the Bible is about me. He will be delivered over the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Isn't that amazing? Disciples who grew up in understanding the Torah and the prophetic books, they had all the Old Testament that you had. Most likely, way better at understanding the Old Testament than any of us in this room. And yet, they missed it. It's a note we're going to talk about here, but it says this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Don't you find that strange? That we could dive into the Bible, we could read all of it, and have all the facts, and yet miss the meaning. What is the Bible about? It's about Jesus. So when you read about the fall of Adam and Eve, while that happened, we recognize that what? That we're fallen. That we're going to need a Savior. We find that as we read about Abraham, it's not really about Abraham and sacrificing his son. It's that God will later on fulfill that sacrifice that Abraham didn't have to do and provide one his own son, Jesus Christ. When God builds the temple and says, I want you to worship me this way, and there'll be priests, prophets, kings, and judges, he is setting up later on that Jesus will become the last priest, prophet, king, and judge, and the temple will be you, and I will dwell in you. It is about Jesus. Every story is pointing to the cross. Now, when we read the Bible, the problem I find today in our culture is we like to make it mean something else. We read it kind of for our own arrogance or pride. I'll read this because it's going to make me a happier person. I'll read this because I'm going to be better. I, because I see kind of my spiritual journey as a pecking order of getting it right. And friends, the story of Christ is not about us getting it right. The story of Jesus is that we can't get it right. 
and that he did it for us so that we receive that, Christ, that sacrifice of Jesus so that we are seen right through Christ by the Father. Not because of anything we've done. There is, permeates in our culture this idea that you need to earn God's favor. And as I said last week, and I've said weeks and weeks, you cannot do that. Many in this room have been confirmed and gone through Bible class, and I would say that probably find themselves missing the meaning. It is not about an acquiring of Bible knowledge. Sometimes Bible answer people scare me because it really is not about us having Bible answers. It's about us having the story and its meaning, and that points to Jesus. And do you see everything written in the New Testament about the church points right back to Jesus and right back to his return. It is about Christ. The Bible is filled with this for us, and I find it fascinating that we as, much like the disciples, can bury ourselves. And do you realize how much we have in today's culture available to us in Scripture? From tapes and books and commentaries and podcasts and websites, and all that you could ever want, and yet some still never read it, and yet others still miss, as they're saturated, the other extreme, miss the meeting. They take it upon themselves to whack people with Bible knowledge. Kabam! You should be doing this. This is not what the Bible is about. The Bible is about Jesus. And when you get that meeting, when, that, when you get that meaning, it changes you. It no longer come, becomes this moral handbook code, code book or dictionary or just a history manual. It impacts your entire heart. It impacts everything you do and how you live and how you view people and how you forgive. It impacts your marriage. It impacts your singleness. It impacts how you raise your kids. It impacts how you treat others. It impacts how you spend your money. Do you see that? The last question I want to deal with is, how, so how do you read this thing? Because I've heard people say, oh man, Troy, I've given it a shot, you know, I've just read it, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I don't know what the heck I'm reading. I lose perspective. And Before I dive in this, can I just say, part of us needs to recognize if you read it as a factual book that you're going to all of a sudden extract all this deep meaning, you probably are going at it the wrong way. You need to read the Bible and understanding it is a story pointing at Jesus. It's another reason why we say get into groups. Because friends, we are in an arrogant culture. Not just Green Bay, I'm just saying the whole of Western culture and intellectualism, this idea that we, can, we have knowledge as king. We kind of like to pride ourselves about having all the answers. We need to be in a room full of people saying, nah, you should probably read it a little bit differently because here's what I've learned. It's kind of a good thing to be in a circle of people that sharpen us. Proverbs says iron sharpens iron. There's a sense of sharpening even how we read Scripture. And I am learning, not only through our community group, but through other friends and through other pastors throughout the world, that just it's, it's part of why we've been called to do this together. So how do we read the Bible? The Bible um, gives us an interesting story in Luke chapter 24, and it's Jesus after now he is resurrected and the grave is empty, and there's two disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
Trish and I actually last year in Israel, which we're now kind of launching that trip, by the way, for next season. But we got to, we were just a little bit of ways on a hillside where this road went through. So we pick up on this story where um, these two disciples are walking. It says, now the same day, the two of them, these disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're walking and talking um, with each other about everything that had happened. This means Jesus' death and crucifixion, and then his body's missing, because they don't really recognize he's rose. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walks alongside of them, and they were kept... um, but uh, they were kept from recognizing him. In other words, Jesus, I don't know, he does the Vulcan mind meld or something, you Trekkies, but he just makes it so they don't understand or whatever it is. He, they can't recognize him. And so I love how Jesus interacts. He asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And listen to this response. They stood still, probably like, really, dude? Their face is downcast. Um, one of them named Cleopas said, are you the only one in Jerusalem that does not know what just happened here these last days? Are you, were you here? Did you really not get this? It's been front page. It's, it is the thing that's, that's been the biggest thing since you know, such and such took over the temple. What things, he asked. Jesus keeps playing with them. Uh, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, they started to explain. He was powerful in word and deed. Before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Listen to this verse. I highlighted it. It's interesting. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I find it interesting when I read about the disciples, and I think it's still true for us today. You can read and read and read this book, and when you read it for your own benefit, you can miss the meaning because it's not about you. This book is not about you. It's about Jesus. When you, when you read it for what he's going to do for you, the Israelites or these Jewish disciples read it as, when is he going to fix the government here? And we never think about this today in our culture. When is he going to fix our government? When is he going to redeem the nation of Israel? And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. That some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. By the way, just as a side note, massive point in scholars that they would include women on the account of the first ones to be eyewitnesses. If you were writing a history, you would never use a woman's account. Now, don't laugh at that, because we should today. Uh, But back then, a woman's testimony in court was not permissible. It wasn't valid. There was a disrespect in women. So for them to account for this is quite fascinating. It It would have lost momentum very quickly. He goes on, though. So Jesus says to them, and he yells it, How foolish you are. How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. You kept reading this with your own eyes about you and how to fix you and all your answers and all your needs, but you missed the bigger story. You've forgotten. You've lost perspective. You missed it. He says, did not the Messiah have to to suffer these things to enter in his glory? 
And listen to what he does, verse 27. You should underline this in your Bible. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, what does Jesus do? He explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning morality, concerning the restoration of government, concerning a great history book. No, concerning himself. The whole of the, of the Bible is about Jesus. It is this magnificent story about Jesus, and you can miss the meaning very quickly if you, in an idolatrous way, lift up the Bible as just your moral baseball bat for the world. Because it's about Jesus. It's not about you fixing the world. It's about Jesus dying for the world. It's not about you getting better so that you earn points for God. It's about Jesus who died on the cross so you don't have to earn anymore. And you are seen as a person and a child of God. It says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's early evening. And the day's almost over, so he went to stay with them. Jesus, then when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, it's communion, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Now this last line, again, is another underliner in your Bible. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened what? The scriptures to us. Something transforms when we take this book and not just read it as a bunch of information to make us better people or information or a history book or a religious set of things, something transforms when it begins to understand that this points to Jesus, that our hearts start to burn. It says in the scripture that the angels long to look into the gospel, into this story. Don't you think the angels might be a bit smarter than you and I? If memorizing was the big key, don't you think they just might have an edge on us a bit? The angels continually long to look into the Word of God. What does it say to you? There is a transformational thing that can unfold when we recognize that the Scripture is about Jesus, and it will make your heart burn to long to know more. I don't read the Bible, friends, to be a Bible answer man. I read the Bible because I want to know this God that loves me this way. That this God that would send his son to die for me. And I just am, as Trish and I are breaking open passages as, as we read through with our community group, it's just like, oh man, I've never seen that. I mean, I've been a Christian since age seven and I don't even, this is brand new. How do we read the scripture? Let me give you a couple thoughts. Let me just, just overarch with this, with humility. Some, you guys affirm me, and I just thank you for that. You say, man, you're a great teacher. I, mean, I, I want you to know, I don't feel that way. I have such a weightiness about doing this role, and Scripture talks about that. So I should feel weighty. I'm humbled every time I open this and think, I am going to resource other men and women teachers that teach this. I am going to prayerfully open this up and say, Spirit, teach me. Reveal to me what you want me to know. I am going to make sure and try to make sure that this word hits my life before I have to try to tell you about it. 
there is a humility. Three ways I look at this, and you might be challenged. Tim Keller does a, a great message on literalism. Taking the Bible and just reading everything and saying, do that, do that, do that. Very dangerous. But often the, the, uh, the Bible creates tension for our culture. I want you to just maybe, I'm going to use what he said, three ways to approach Scripture that might challenge when you have something that you don't agree with or don't like. First of all, might you consider that your interpretation is not always right? I don't know what it is about our culture in this day and age, but we are a very arrogant culture that feel like we have it. Do you know that you've only heard 10% of my message today? Studies show that from a talking head, you've only listened about 10%. So like when Joe came with the dog, that great message I gave, you know what people tell me? I loved your message. That dog was awesome. <laughs> the scarier thing is, 90% of people base all their belief system on what they hear. Uh, friends, most of us don't fully understand a lot of Scripture. And to assume that you could read it in one sitting would be dangerous. Let me give you an example. The, uh, the Scripture is written in three languages, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. And while we understand that it's inerrant, that means we believe the Word of God is truth and it's, it's not an error. I believe that with its original manuscripts. We have translations in German, in Latin, in tons of different languages, and in English. Part of the challenge with that is, it's not that it's wrong, but when you read, for instance, the word love, you might think of your cultural understanding of what love means. And you could miss very quickly that there are three Hebrew words for love. There are three Greek words for love. Brotherly love, a spiritual uh, love, and a sexual love. When David and Jonathan in 2 Samuel, it says that Jonathan loved David more than he did women. Culture today would say, ah, that's a case for homosexuality and God ordains it. Friends, there, there is a language that you probably need to investigate because that's not what it's saying at all. You see how dangerous we can become when we wield this and walk around with it like it's a baseball bat. Approach it as if you don't always have the right interpretation. The next way would be is your culture may have blinders. Your cultural understanding may have blinders. In Western culture today, part of the Bible that our culture doesn't agree with or doesn't like is the, the rules about sexuality. Most couples today live together, have sex together before marriage. That's very, very common even in the church today. And when we talk about, when I tell a couple that's engaged, that say, they say we're living together, say move out. Um, they don't like that. That's a part of the Bible they don't agree with. They think, well, that's not a very relevant part of the Bible. Yet when we talk about forgiveness, 70 times 7, oh, we love that one. Oh, yeah. Forgive me. Think about this, though, in, in a culture in the Middle East. If a Middle Eastern Christian reads this, the rules on sexuality, they would not only agree with, they would say, absolutely, 100%. You should follow that. You know what they'd struggle with? Forgiveness. The whole idea of letting go and forgiving is super difficult for their culture. Might you recognize and understand that there are cultural blinders that you have 
by living in this city, in this state, in this country, and in this time. Here's the third area. Our moment in history is not supreme. We seem to think, oh, we've arrived. We're in 2013, and we have so much knowledge and understanding. And all you need to do is travel back to your grandparents. You need to travel back to the origins of our country where slavery was not only condoned by our country and our government at that time, but churches were filled with people that say that the Bible supported it. We know now the Bible doesn't support slavery. Slavery, the picture of slavery in the Bible, is very different than our modern perspective of slavery. In fact, if you're a slave in the New Testament, it's actually a good job. You might be more educated and more wealthy than the master you were serving. You could buy your own freedom. You're more like an indentured servant. All to say is, for us to assume that we've arrived and that we have this great perspective, hmm, I'm sure 20 years from now, there'll be perspective and learnings, and probably our children and their children will go, I can't believe my grandparents and great-grandparents believe that. What does that say? We approach the Scriptures with humility. Well, Bobby and the team are going to come out and finish us up with one song before we go to communion. I just have one kind of just set of challenges for you on this. A lot of you come here every week, but this just keeps collecting dust. I'm going to challenge you and say, read it. If you don't know where to start, start with the Gospel of John. New Testament, it's, it's going to be talking about Jesus and the life of Jesus. Just start there. When you're done there, read the other disciples, the other three, Matthew, Luke, um, and Mark. Read those. Begin to read about the, the person of Jesus because the entire Bible is about that. And I would challenge you to read there. Friends, there's version, Bible Gateway. There's tons of places to figure that out about where to start. If you need a Bible, take one of ours. It's not stealing, I promise you. We're saying take it. That's why we buy them. But if you want to begin to have God reveal to you who he is and what he's about, you need to begin to dive in and read the Bible. It is relevant. And it is his revelation, special revelation, for those of us who seek him out. Next is believe it. Don't be a person that flips through and says, nope, I don't like that one because my friend is struggling with sexual identity, so I'm out. Would you consider the possibility that you don't fully have a perspective about who God is and might he know love way better than you and I do? Man, I would tell you, take on the whole of the Bible. Friends, we are a Bible-believing church. We are a Bible-teaching church. We seek all of our direction, everything we do, from what God has revealed to us in this. Sometimes we don't have all the answers. And we don't have ways to figure it out. But this is what we pursue and measure for ourselves. Might you do the same. As you go to the cross today, Jesus died for us to have new life. And that story is in here. Father, as we go to the cross this morning, might we be moved to embrace this relevant revelation of the Scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen.